Good morning and welcome to chapel worship. This is truly the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. It's a pleasure to be leading you in worship this morning. I'm Courtney Joyner, the seminary chapel minister. And as we gather in this space, we are here amongst friends in person. We are amongst friends online. And we all gather our spirits as we worship the triune God. Today's service will follow the Prayers for Peace and Justice service that is in the Iona Abbey worship book. And the introduction to that service explains some of the community's rule. And so I want to read that as we begin this morning. In this and the following prayers, we draw on that part of the Iona community's rule, which is a commitment to justice, peace, and the integrity of creation. We celebrate that God wills for the world peace with justice, known in the Middle East as shalom or salam. This is not an abstraction or something only possible in another world or eternity, but a real hope for this place and time. This justice is proclaimed by the law and the prophets and is embodied in Jesus. It flows from the simple fact that God loves the world. When what God loves is threatened, those who love God cannot remain neutral. Please join with me responsively in our call to worship. I will read the light print and we will respond together with the bold. Just and merciful God, you speak through the prophets, challenging us to seek peace rooted in justice. Help us to hear your urgent call. Loving God, in Jesus you change our lives for good, challenging us to work for reconciliation With us, God, your Holy Spirit moves us to action, challenging us to live the good news. Amen. Let us stand as we are able and join our voices in our gathering hymn, Here to the House of God We Come.
Let us pray. God, over time, over space, over matter, over thought, you are our God in all and through all. The noises of war are loud in your ears, as is the cry of a newborn child. You share the excitement of those pioneering research as well as the last breaths of those nearing death. And in Christ, all the pain and potential in the world are held together in the hope of healing. Be present to us here, gracious God, and let your spirit open us to glimpse that fairer world which you intend for us and for all people. Amen. Our reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version updated edition. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us stand as we are able for hymn number 392, The Church of Christ cannot be bound.
It is my pleasure to introduce to you this morning our speaker, Karen Chambly. Karen is a seminary student here, and she is going to share with us about her pilgrimage to Iona. And she mentions of this pilgrimage that it was the top thing on her bucket list. So we celebrate with you that you were able to pilgrimage this summer. Karen is also the lay leader at Bridgewater United Methodist Church. She plays the violin with the Waynesboro Symphony, and after service, ask her about the upcoming concert in October. And she also volunteers with CASA, the Court-Appointed Special Advocates. So we are so glad that you have joined us this morning, Karen, and we welcome you to share with us. Good morning, it's good to be here with you. Um, before I start, I want to share that the readings and poetry and prayers that I'm gonna share with you this morning come from a book, Around a Thin Place, an Iona Pilgrimage Guide by Jane Bentley and Neil Painter. I meant to bring it with me, but if you're interested in learning more about Iona, talk to me and I'd be glad to share that book with you. Um, we're talking about Iona, but there are many ways to experience Iona. Iona is a tiny island. It's a mile and a half wide by three miles long. There's 170 people that live there. It's off the west coast of the Isle of Mull, which is off the west coast of Scotland, the southwest coast. It's in the Inner Hebrides. Tourists can't drive onto the island, uh, and there's a ferry that you take to get there. It is a place of stunning natural beauty that draws many tourists and is covered in a lot of the tour guide books, like Rick Steves, to, to Scotland. But Iona is also a deeply and profoundly spiritual place. In 563 CE, 13 monks, including St. Columba, sailed from Ireland to Iona to found a monastery, and their goal was to build it in the image of a heavenly Jerusalem to show the world the pinnacle of Christian virtue. The monastery grew and flourished and became the center of monastic life in Great Britain, and it was vital to the spread of Christianity from Ireland into Scotland, Northumbria, which is the northern part of England, and then into England. The monks built and rebuilt the monastery, named Iona Abbey, um, and other buildings. The monastery's um, biggest, I guess, claim to fame is also that there is where they produce the Book of Kells, which is a stunningly, a stunningly illuminated Bible manuscript that's in a museum in Dublin now, and they did that in 800 CE. In the ninth century, there were Viking raids, and most of the monks left Iona. In the 13th century, a Benedictine monastery and an Augustinian nunnery were built on the island. And whoops, and that's the Iona Abbey as it has been rebuilt, which I'll get to in just a minute. The nunnery is right over here, but we'll see that in a minute too. In 1938, Reverend George McLeod and others formed a trust to rebuild the abbey and founded the Iona community. 
And as, as Courtney said, the Iona community is an international ecumenical Christian movement working for justice, peace, and an equitable society. The rebuilding of community and the renewal of worship. The Iona community has a, several week-long workshops on building justice and peace in the world. And they also lead pilgrims and tourists in worship every morning and afternoon. For many years, they also led weekly pilgrimages around the island, but they stopped doing that because of COVID. So they're self-guided now. George McLeod famously said that Iona is a very thin place. There is only a tissue paper thick layer between things material and things spiritual. I went to Iona for a few hours on a tourist day trip in 2011 and felt a profound sense of closeness to God while I was there. So I looked for ways to go back. This May, after delay and COVID and other things, I finally made it back and was able to experience Iona for five days. And I experienced the natural beauty of the islands, especially my friend Bob the Puffin. Um, I also made some new friends while I was there and experienced fellowship in different ways. These ladies went on the boat trip with me to see the Puffin, and they're both Methodist ministers who showed God's call to hospitality. And we, I was also deeply blessed by the worship services at the Abbey led by the Iona community. Especially there was a service of healing that they shared with us. And what prof was profound to me is they had several people reading names and you know this person started reading because they have a basket for prayer request and they were reading the names and so it was you know Jane and John and then somebody over here started reading at the same time and somebody over here started reading at the same time and to me it dramatically illustrated what God must hear with the flood of prayers coming from around the world um, and also there was a part of that service where there was a laying on of hands um, for healing of all kinds. I also was blessed and able to experience pilgrimage walks around the island, and I'd like to take you on one of those walks with me. We're going to start at St. Martin's Cross. It's the big one in the middle. The one on the left is um, St. Columba's Cross, but I want to call your attention to the, to the intertwining um, vine pattern. I hope you can see it. Um, so let's start at this cross outside the abbey. St. Martin was a Roman soldier who, legend has it, saw a poor freezing man and his heart was touched so that he gave the man half of his cloak. That night, Martin saw Jesus in his dream, and Jesus was wearing the cloak that he had given the beggar. Later, he gave his life to the ministry of hospitality and good works, largely working with the Celtic people. His carved stone cross has stood for 1,200 years. The east side of the cross has a pattern of balls and intertwining vines, and they symbolize the intertwining of heaven and earth, the sacred and the secular. To me, the cross made very real the thinness of the line between our daily lives and heaven 
and between the past and the present and the future. The meaning of the cross is described in the poem St. Martin's Cross by Pat Bennett. In the intertwining of my life with yours, brokenness meets remaking. In the intertwining of my life with yours, restlessness meets peace. In the intertwining of my life with yours, bondage meets liberation. In the intertwining of my life with yours, weakness meets strength. In the intertwining of my life with yours, selfishness meets servanthood. In the intertwining of my life with yours, death meets resurrection. And in the intertwining of my life with yours, your kingdom comes. Our pilgrimage continues through the tiny village of Iona, past the pilgrims and the tourists getting off the ferry, and on towards St. Columba's Bay. But before we get to the bay, we're going to cross through the Iona Golf Course, which is normally used as a sheep pasture, as you can see as you look back towards the, the water. Um, there is no land to waste on Iona. As we walk, the details of our every life are slowly giving way to the peacefulness and separateness of this place. I will tell you, we are really lucky to have a sunny day for this walk. Um, showers and fog are common on Iona. You always have a raincoat with you. And the sense of God's presence is there in the warm sun, the dense fog, and the clouds, and the chilly rain. As we get to the top of the small hill, we see St. Columba's Bay in the distance. We come over the top of the hill, packs the ducks on a small pond that also serve as the island's emergency water supply, and the sparkling bay opens up in front of us. And that is St. Columba's Bay. And this is the bay that welcomed St. Columba and the other monks who had left their home in Ireland forever to go to an unknown land. Legend has it that when they landed on this bay, St. Columba climbed to the top of the hill, and when he looked out and saw that you couldn't see Ireland anymore, he knew that this is the place he would start his missionary work. There was no going back. It was a turning point in his life, and the pebbly beach is a place to think about the turning points in our own lives and what path we're on now. Our next stop on the pilgrimage is the nunnery. The nunnery has not been restored, um, but it's filled with beautiful wildflowers. Between the town and the abbey, you get to this nunnery. The nunnery was founded by the Augustinians in the early century, 13th century when the Benedictine abbey was built. The nunnery was a working community of worship and fellowship, as well as a community for the orphan, broken men, and homeless women for the wounded soldier fleeing battle to the violated girl whose children we love. It was a community of veiled sisters, faithful to God's little ones and faithful to this sacred earth. We know very little about the women that served and worshiped here. Let's take a moment just to think of the people in our world and in our lives who have loved and served God faithfully but whose names are known only to a few, if at all. Let's pause here to thank God for the work of all of God's people. And let's end our pilgrimage today with a word of prayer. This is a prayer by Pat Bennett. 
Lord of the excluded. Open my ears to those I would prefer not to hear. Open my life to those I would prefer not to know. Open my heart to those I would prefer not to love. And so open my eyes to see where I exclude you. Amen. Thank you. Thanks be to God. Amen. Karen, thank you for your sharing with us today. I imagine I am one among many who felt as though I was in a thin place experiencing the pilgrimage with you. Thank you. Our next prayer is also in the Iona Abbey worship book a prayer of commitment. In between each stanza of the prayer, we will sing the refrain, the kingdom of God. It is number 799 in Voices Together. We have the English on the screen. If you wish to sing in Spanish, please open your hymnals. And just as Karen mentioned the prayers of Iona sounding at the same time, we will have our voices sounding in English and Spanish as we feel led at the same time. We will begin by singing twice, and then in between each stanza of the prayer, we will repeat just once. God of new beginnings, you long for us to live in love and justice with our neighbors, 
with friends and strangers, with people everywhere. You call us to be just and loving in our working, in our shopping, and in our caring, and through our prayers. Jesus, you were a storyteller. You talked about money, wages, and taxes. You told stories about integrity and forgiveness. You helped people who were in trouble. You listened to people who were sad. You called us to love as you did, to listen to each other, be forgiving and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Holy Spirit, we are discovering what you ask of us. You are wild and wise, and you speak the truth. You challenge and comfort us. You breathe life into us. You shout in the streets, and you whisper in our ears. You remind us what Jesus taught and practiced. You take us to task. You tell us to turn around. Holy Trinity, God's love in community. Every day in all our living, help us to say yes to you. Amen. Let us stand as we sing our final hymn, Longing for Light, 715, and Voices Together.
As we go forth, I call your attention to some events that are happening in the next few weeks at the seminary and the wider campus, including the blessing for new faculty and staff, which will be in three weeks here in chapel. Our benediction today is a response and then a call. It's backwards than you might think. You, the people, begin, and I will end. And the peace inspire us. May God of justice empower us. May God of hope encourage us to live the good news. Go in the power of the Spirit. Go and do not try to separate politics and prayer. Go not to escape, but to engage with God's world. Go to live hopefully as people of resurrection. Amen. Amen.